This episode was sponsored by MPB, the world's largest online platform for used photo and video kit. Visit mpb.com. Hey folks, in this interview, it's all about architectural photography with Jeffrey Totaro. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Happy New Year again. Today, I have my friend, Mr. Jeffrey Totaro on the show. He's kind of our resident This Week in Photo architectural specialist. Knows everything there is to know about architectural photography, and he has a body of work to back that up. Uh, we're going to be talking about that, kind of a state of the union in the architectural industry. What does it look like right now? What does the money look like? What does the effort look like? What are the differences between that and other genres of photography? All that and more um, I'm going to try to get to in this, this interview. Jeffrey, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Hey, Frederick. Great to see you again. It's good to see you, too. It's always a pleasure. I always learn so much when I'm chatting with you about this stuff. You know, first of all, let's let's kick it off um, for the folks that may not be familiar with you. You know, you've been on the show a couple times, but let's reintroduce you. And, and so folks know what your pedigree is when it comes to architectural photography. What's your elevator pitch when people say, hey, Jeffrey, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> sure thing. Well, I like to always uh, uh, start off just with I, I actually used to be an architect and uh, structural engineer. So that's what my education is in from uh, Drexel University in the Philadelphia area here. And uh, I was always interested in photography. And then through um, just through you know, learning photography in high school and things like that, it, it seemed like I was interested in being an architect because I was photographing buildings. But uh, looking back on it, I was probably more interested in being a photographer. Uh, but I'm actually really glad I took the path I did. So I, mm -hmm. I studied um, uh, mostly engineering, but also architecture in college and then worked for a large architecture firm in in Philadelphia uh, through Drexel's cooperative education program and then also full-time for about five years after I graduated. But uh, about halfway through that five-year postgraduate period, I, I really got into photography and I discovered the 4x5 view camera, the film camera mm -hmm. back then. And that was the tool at the time for architectural photography. And something about that camera really clicked in my head about just the, the, the deliberate nature of it the, you have to be, it's very sort of slow and methodical. You really have to commit to a shot because it's, uh, it's cumbersome and, and expensive in terms of film and processing to, to take a photo. So that whole process really appealed to me. And so um, I, I took an opportunity back in 1996 to work with a, another photographer in this area, Tom Crane, uh, who I learned tons, tons of things from, uh, pretty much everything I know. And so uh, I worked, started working with him full time in 1996 and then um, slowly transitioned to working, uh, working on my own. So that's um, that's kind of the brief idea of how I got started. So these days, most of my clients are architects or contractors or anyone involved in the, the building design and construction uh, field. So that's uh, that's how I spend most of my time. And those are the clients I shoot for most. I love it. I love it. You know, I, I have a ton of questions. One of the main, let's start with mm -hmm. fundamentals of, sure. of this stuff. I'm going to try to ask questions that I think people that haven't haven't done architectural or real estate photography, you know, they haven't done played in that genre and but are considering it. And what are the questions that that person might ask? So the first question would be, you know, just like I kind of alluded to the differences between architectural photography and real estate photography. Are they the same thing? Is it just a factor of invoice and where the comma is like what what's, what are the differences <laughs> right well that's certainly uh, one, one difference and we can we can address that but i like to describe it as the difference really is the audience so when you're shooting for real estate uh the audience is the realtor and basically the general public who's looking to purchase a home and uh, i mean real estate photographers make plenty of effort but it's really just the at the, at the end of the real estate transaction the photos are are kind of you know just put to the side and they want move, move on to the next listing versus uh architectural photography where your client is the architect or interior designer um particularly them but still even contractors and and other folks involved but the architects and designers it really represents their their design legacy uh, they really just it represents their firm if you think about some of these books of the great architects of the world, these uh, monographs, you know, they're recording their work project by project over, over, over decades. And so they, they're very, very tied to the idea of, of having their, their photographs, um, the photographs represent their work over the, over the years. So uh, versus again, back to, to, to real estate where it's a little bit more about, it's very sort of transactional, a little more of a commodity. Yeah. So, uh, 
so I think that's that's sort of the the biggest difference. Uh, and again, not to disparage anybody doing real estate photography, but there's uh, I think we we as architectural photographers are sort of given more time. Not that not that um, not that the real estate guys don't take the time, but they may not be given as much time. From what I understand, I never shot real estate, but from what I understand, so, you know, you might shoot one, two, or even three houses in a day. Yeah. Uh, and for us, we're doing a, a much slower pace where we may one maybe office interior shoot we maybe may do like eight to 12 photos in a day oh wow um, wow yeah so yeah so it's a so in other words the, the designers and architects are much more concerned about how everything is styled that everything's just right um we may be introducing people as models into the sh into the shots and like who are those people going to be what are they going to be wearing so just a lot more decisions made uh about trying to to, to make the photos that the best they can be making sure all the furniture that's meant to be in the shots make sure that's all there uh, these mm -hmm. days, there's loads of uh, delays with um, uh, furniture deliveries. Yeah, yeah. So, so that sort of thing. So, it's just it's sort of the level of expectation of how the photos are going to be used and what they're used for. So, and it's time too. And it sounds like the mm -hmm. the the, uh, the real estate photographers I I speak to exemplary is that the right word? Let's see, mm -hmm. really good at their craft, right? Yeah. So those right. those folks are really good at their craft. They know what they're doing, but they're still like you said, they're under time constraints. Right, mm -hmm. so they they might say, "Hey, I have to get like these three houses or two houses out in a day, and I'm only getting paid a certain amount." So it's and it's usually, if if I'm correct in my thinking, they're usually a one man solo operation where you're mm -hmm. going out with your gear and you're shooting it, and then you're done and you know process and send off to the realtor or whomever the the client is. And it sounds like right. on your side of the the aisle, you're more like a commercial shoot where you've got. Uh, you're there as the photographer or the executive person that's in charge of everything, and then you've got people mm -hmm. handling different parts of the shoot. What are those pieces like? Those those different people on a typical medium sized, you know, average budget, if there's such a thing, uh -huh. architectural shoot. What what is the team comprised of? Well, sure, it's uh, a good question. Um, so, um, on my side, it's usually uh, me and at least one assistant. Uh, and I work with, I have one full-time person, Brian, and then I have um, some other freelance people that we draw from. So it's at least one assistant. Sometimes we have two, uh, depending if there's something, um, either in terms of scale or a number of shots or something that we're trying to accomplish in a day, we may have a second uh, assistant. And on the client side, the best example is like the, the, the medium to large um, architecture firms always have someone who, who might be in the role of called like a marketing coordinator. Mm -hmm. And this is a person who, in their day-to-day -day life in the office is, is uh, you know, just helping to helping them to land uh, work and also managing the photo library and things like that. So that's often the person I'm interfacing with in terms of scheduling and booking the shoots. And uh, so we'll, I'll hear from that person, we'll schedule a shoot. And then on the shoot, uh, they'll usually bring, because uh, most of my clients do like to have people in the shots. And let's say this is maybe an academic uh, project. Uh, we may draw from students that are in the space, uh, these days that can be sort of hit or miss if the you know, place is in session or not. So uh, if, if it's the case that we can't expect or we can't rely on the idea that we may be able to use some students that are in the space, then um, particularly one office I work with, um, Voith and McTavish, they, they always bring like you know, half their office to be models, <laughs> which is great because then we have, we have perfect control over everybody. We can, we can set up the shot, get all the lighting done, get all the furniture in the right place, and, and I'll shoot it empty which helps with post-production and then we'll do extra uh, exposures with the people. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so to answer your question, we'll have at least that marketing coordinator person. We may have um, a, a firm principal or, or a project architect or designer on the shoot. And then there might be uh, a handful or even a large group of models who are, who are primarily there just to be in the photos. Um, but they may contribute in other ways, but they, um, so it's usually, yeah, so my crew of two and the client side is anywhere from like two to 10, maybe, depending on, okay. depending on okay. what's going on. Yeah. And then, and then are you able to, on, a, on an average job, are you able to get it mostly done in one go or, or is mm -hmm. it, you know, over the, depending, I'm sure it's, it, the, the, the answer is it depends, but on an average job, are, right. okay, I have to go back to do the interiors and then I have to go back at dusk to get the exteriors mm -hmm. and multiple exposures there. And then, you right. know, how does that, how does that work? Sure. So that's one of the questions. Somebody you know sends an email or a phone call, and you know we're looking to shoot something. So I ask mm -hmm. all those questions, like how many shots you're trying to get. Uh, I tell them, you know, we we can probably get at least ten shots in a day. 
uh, on the interior shots. Uh, often we can get more, but I, I don't want to offer that right up front. I don't want to think, oh, we can get, you know, maybe 15 shots or something because it all depends on how much work is involved with each shot. But then, uh, then we'll talk about things like dusk shots, for instance, like you asked. So if, a, if I hear from a lighting designer, for instance, I know that they're going to want probably more than one shot in the evening. Mm -hmm. So we may say, you know, they may, may want most of their shots in that, in that kind of condition. So then we may have to split it up into, uh, into maybe two different evenings or something like that, where we're going to get, we're going to do set up two or even three cameras and we'll operate those cameras to capture two or three shots that night. And then maybe we'll come back the next night. Uh, but yeah, specifically maybe for a lighting design, uh, lighting designer, but for a typical shoot, you know, office interior shoot, yeah, that eight to 10 to 12 shots, uh, we'll get that in a, in just a regular work day. Uh, although that could be on a weekend mm -hmm. and, uh, and then shots that go into multiple days are, like we shot uh, something called the new college house at the university of Pennsylvania. Uh, it's not on my website yet. It's in my Instagram somewhere, mm -hmm. but that one, that was a multi-day shoot. Uh, and that's partly cause like this building was, uh, you know, certain spaces were open before others and trying to time it when the students are coming in and cause we want some students, but not to be too overwhelmed. Uh, so, so that was like a multi-day uh, situation and just trying to go back when certain events are happening too. Cause the, the academic projects in particular really need to be activated with people. And so it, it, you walk that line between, are we going to try and fake it with models or are we going to try and be there when something's actually happening? And What's best? So that, Wh which one is best? Well, it's, I mean, in terms of control, because I'm anyone who's taken my workshop knows that I, I'm all about control. So uh, it's better to just be able to place the models uh, yeah. and, and put them where you want them and things like that. But it's often the case that we don't have enough models. Uh, right, to, to right. fill a space. So that's where, that's where it's like, all right, let me, let me get some, some help from the, uh, what I call the ambient people. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, the one, one architect, the architect on this, um, university of Pennsylvania project, um, she's amazing at like corralling people. She tempts them with food, <laughs> um, <laughs> like you know, come over here, we'll give you a donut. Um, yeah. so, so that, that there's a lot of energy put into that, just trying to get the people in the shots. Cause you can execute a, a very competent photograph that might have, might not have any people in it, but it's just more animated and feels more alive, obviously when there's, when there's people in it. So often that can be the biggest challenge and also the biggest thing that drives the timing of the shoot, like you're asking. And I can imagine, you know, when, when you have humans into, you know, as, as part of the shot, depending on the goals of the overall shoot, you got to make sure that you have you know, the right ages, the right genders, you know, a mix of nationalities oh, yeah. and all that stuff. So do you, right. like, who does that? Is that a factor of the client make, making those requests? Or do you as the artist say, yeah, it'd be better to have this person here. Let's put a kid yeah. over there. You know, how, how right. does that work? Well, that's a very good question. And it has come up, um, you know, it comes up all the time. We, we did yeah. a shoot in, um, in a, uh, a pediatric unit down in Baltimore a few months ago. And it was before it opened. Um, it's more of a behavioral health kind of place. So it's once it's open, you really can't get in there. Yeah. Uh, so you have to shoot it. So you have to basically bring models. And it, it turned out that the, the models that we had available to us on the, on the, sh the shoot day were not diverse whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so we did the shoot and, um, the hospital came back later and said, yeah, we got to redo this. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so they, then th these questions were asked ahead of time, but they, no one was really paying attention at that point until they saw the final photos. And then they're like, oh yeah, we have to make an extra step here. So we went back and redid like three or four of the shots, uh, with different models. And so, but, uh, if, if we have the opportunity, uh, on the shoot and we're working with, with sort of live people, then yeah, we're always trying to sort of mix that up. Um, and I'm always sensitive to gender roles, like in terms of like, like who's the receptionist or, um, if there's a seated person and a standing person, what's that dynamic and, mm -hmm. and you know, who should, who should look like the power person and that kind of stuff. Wow. So yeah, wow. def definitely try to try to, you know, be sensitive to all those kinds of things. Yeah. And I wonder also yeah. about just sort of the, the, the zeitgeist that needs to be represented mm -hmm. in these photographs. For example, right now, as we record this on the 13th of January in 2022, mm -hmm. COVID is still going on. So oh, yeah. everywhere there, there are masks everywhere. Right. So right. in a photograph that is intended to be timeless, do you do you go with masks in the shots or mm -hmm. do you go without masks? <laughs> like how, do, how does that work? <laughs> I'd say at this point, 90% of the time we're doing it without masks, but we do that in a careful way. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's wearing a mask up until the moment and, and people are asked ahead of time if it's, if they're okay with that, we're not going to put somebody on the spot 
and, and require them to take off a mask, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then we often shoot for technical reasons and also for, for COVID reasons. We, we often shoot like if we have full control, um, we'll shoot one group of people over here uh, so we can work with them and then we'll do uh, do another group over there. So at any given time, there's only you know, one or two people, maybe or three, maybe. Don't yeah, have but aside from the safety, brief period. aside from the safety side of it, like, yeah, all that, of course. But just mm -hmm. in the artistic side of it. The artistic, like you, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Most most of my clients don't want to see the mask. Some, some of them wow. we've done. Um, some clients we, we do. A ver we'll do a version without people. We'll do a version with people and then with and without masks. OK. Uh, and it depends also on the um, like some of uh some photos we did for a different um university of pennsylvania project showed my client's staff without masks and the university wants to embargo those photos until until there's no more mask mandate on campus oh wow wow yeah so there that was that was a little bit of a surprise <laughs> so interesting um they didn't they didn't want the photos to be out there until it's okay to for the university to say that no master required on campus <laughs> yeah. so we weren't expecting that that Make was the, the questions sort of... in the bud right we don't want yeah, questions yeah. about why don't you your people yeah yeah so that was that was the first one where we got kind of got tripped up by that yeah um yeah. but but at the, in the end you know hopefully hopefully a year or, or so from now we won't have to um, worry too much about that but it's it's, it's that it comes up every shoot and then yeah. most, most people are are deciding yeah um, i was wondering i thought you were going to say that I, I thought you were going to say that you do both Right. Okay. Let's do a version with masks and without masks, you know, and then, you know, so that we have right. both covered, but yeah. Yeah. There are definitely some clients we, we do that, uh, who, who may feel that, that that's going to be a sensitive issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. moving forward. So it's, um, yeah, it's a challenge. And, and, and anytime we're working with live people, we, we won't ask them to take their mask off. They're only like people that are you know part of the shoot and who have been sort of asked ahead of time if they, sure. if they mind. Yeah. Every, every now and then someone will say, Oh, a picture. I'm going to take my mask off. So, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's all we're still all super cautious about it um, in in general. It, that time won't last very long when they're unmanned. you know what I want to do. I, I want to do, um, and we didn't do this on the the last time I had you on, so I made a mm -hmm. note to make sure I do it this time. I want to look okay. at one of your photos and have you tell me oh, and sure. sort of deconstruct it a little bit the uh, the effort that went into making a meticulous shot like this. Um, okay. And then I and I want to transition and talk a little bit about the the business side of things after this. Sure. So I'm going to bring up a shot here. This is from your website, um, jeffreytotaro.com. And I'm sure you remember this shot, right? So yep. what, this looks amazing. You know, Thank it looks you. like it, it definitely looks like a shot that was done by someone who knows what they're doing. Is this a quick shot? Is this, it, no. Did this take a couple minutes? Does, <laughs> <laughs> what went Listen, into making this shot? <laughs> well, that's, I'm glad you picked that one. That's an interesting one to, to talk about. Uh, so this is for a, a hotel client. Um, they have properties in many cities, but this was in New York, in uh, Tribeca. So the, uh, if we were to look also at some of the, the, room sh the guest room shots for the same client, they're lit differently. Um, but this lounge, uh, the directive from them was that they wanted it to feel, you know, moody and, and, um, you know, dramatic and cause it's lit with sort of a low light level to begin with. Mm -hmm. So this, this shot and the, the series of shots we did in here, I lit, um, with hot lights, which I've gotten away from, um, extensively. Like th this was probably the, the, the one shoot that we did with hot lights in the hmm. last probably five years. <laughs> hmm. okay. Um, but they were, but that, that's why it's interesting to talk about. So, so why hot lights and the different, cause mostly we're using strobe and we're bouncing strobe off of walls or we're using umbrellas and it's much more of a daylit feel. Uh, but this doesn't have any windows in the shot and it's meant to feel like it's nighttime and a little more moody. So the advantage of hot lights, uh, not that you can't accomplish this with strobe, but it's just a lot harder. Um, is, uh, you know, hot light, it's a continuous light source. They're tungsten balanced in terms of color temperature. So they're around 3,200 Kelvin. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can control them with barn doors and they're, they're Fresnel lights. So they have a lens on the front. So when you put that barn door on them, um, that pattern that's thrown, it throws a nice distinct line. Um, but if you put a barn door in a strobe, it, it may cut the light back a little bit, but it's still coming out as a very broad source because it's not yeah. focused by the lens of the Fresnel. So, the, the, so we use multiple Fresnels to light the sides of these chairs, um, parts of the little serpentine sofa. Uh, and so there's probably, I don't know, six or eight or 10 um, hot lights in, in a shot like this. 
And I believe most of them are lit from the edges of the shot. So with digital, obviously, we could put a light in the shot if we need to, to reach it better from there. So that was the, the goal of, of using the hot lights. First of all, they're the same color temperature as the room, which is helpful. Uh, so we don't have to gel anything. And so just to be able to put little splashes of light across the, the sides of those chairs to bring out the, the fabric texture and let certain areas go dark, uh, light the fire, things like that. Is it is it planned? Like, do you how does that flow work? Do you come in and you visit this location and do kind of a walkthrough and take snapshots or phone photos and then go home and look at it and say, OK, this is how I want to execute the shoot. And you go in with a plan sure. or is it more serendipitous? You just go plop your tripod down and yeah, some mm -hmm. light would look good here and over there and all that <laughs> or, or a combination. But excellent question. Um, planning, I think, is very, very important. Uh, in this particular, well, let me, let me give the general answer first. So uh, I do prefer to scout the project ahead of time, if at all possible. Uh, if a client says, we need three shots of an elevator lobby and a reception area, I might be like, okay, we don't have to scout that. I kind of know what to expect. But if it's uh, something like a hotel, um, um, you know, any kind of full new building for sure, uh, multi-floor office space or something, it's always helpful to scout for technical reasons and also to help the client decide which shots are going to look best, right? So you don't spend an hour or even two on the shoot day, looking around and trying to scope out what, what shots you want to spend time on. Yep. Uh, so that's super helpful. I'll take snapshots and we'll review them over a PDF or something and the client will select which shots they think are best. In this particular case, I had been to this hotel as they were rolling out the renovations several times. So I had, I had a sense of what this space was. Um, I hadn't seen it furnished, but I knew that it didn't, ha it didn't have windows. And they told me that, you know, they want to keep it kind of moody and everything. So we made sure we had the, um, I had the hot lights with us for for this particular one but um but that's always helpful um the sort of shooting from the hip uh can work you know because i have a lot of experience so we can always pull something off mm -hmm. but i always think it's better to scout ahead of time just so, so you have a plan and so you can consider you know what might be the best approach for anything uh, that might be different like this particular shoot i love that i love that yeah and then how long how long were you there on this one was it was it a couple hours or, or yeah you know? like this i think we did like four or five shots in this space and we probably spent about four hour four to five hours total on the shoot so roughly an hour per shot i think but maybe a little bit less mm -hmm. um yeah. and that's partly because um when you're working with the hot lights you're, you're again you're trying to really just put put a splash of light here put a splash of light there so you have to once you as soon as you put up the first light, you're like, oh boy, we need more, <laughs> yeah. Because you, yeah. you you like the effect, and you're like, okay, we got to do this everywhere. Versus working with strobe, where you could put one umbrella on the left side and get a nice rake of light across it, um, but it's much broader and it, it fills in a lot more, so it it does a lot more work in that sense. You're um, sculpting, yeah, you're sculpting, yeah. With it. yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. Wow. And then, so I, I can't remember exactly what I have on my website, but if we looked at if we were to look at a guest room shot from the same project same building uh, that's lit with strobe and just a very daylit feel doesn't have any artificial lights on so just in those in, in the same project for the same client uh two completely different lighting approaches based on the mood of the space yeah so there's exactly yep yeah okay so that's just all daylight and and filled in with some strobe uh none of the artificial lights are on wow and so that's yeah so completely different approach lighting wise Wow. I'm, I'm really glad you picked those two. That was, that was good. Good. Uh, yeah, these are beautiful. All, all of them. All of them are beautiful. Beautiful shots. Oh, I love this. Thanks very much. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting when you look when I look at this body of work. I look at the the shots and just sort of scroll through them. Um, as a photographer, the the obvious question that pops up is gear. Okay, what is he mm -hmm. doing? You know, if you, uh, right. bo on, on both sides, lighting and capture, right? So mm -hmm. we talked about the lighting a little bit, you know, you're using strobes when appropriate or hot lights when appropriate, et cetera, or even ambient when, when appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, but on the camera side, can I do this level of work with my iPhone, Jeff? Do I need uh -huh. a Micro Four Thirds? <laughs> Full frame, you know, what, what do I need? Right. What do I need to do this? Right. Well, I mean, the iPhone is getting pretty close. Um, <laughs> right? It is, right? Unfortunately, yeah. It's getting, it's getting <laughs> yeah. pretty darn good, I have yeah. to say. Um, That's the quote from the architectural photographer. Yeah. <laughs> the iPhone is getting pretty close, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we fear the iPhone. Yeah. Um, uh, but to answer your question, you can do very competent work with a DSLR mirrorless camera. Um, I do recommend uh, most people familiar with these shift lenses. Uh, notice I leave the word tilt out of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, tilt's a whole different thing. Um, uh, for We don't really use that too much in architectural photography. And those who know how to use it can use it correctly, but it's more about the shift. So that uh, that's giving you the perspective control 
that mm -hmm. for those who aren't familiar, um, we as architectural photographers like to keep all our vertical lines parallel uh, to avoid that sort of keystone effect. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, but for me, so, so yeah, if you, if you're getting into this kind of work or, uh, uh, real estate photography, architectural photography, um, you know, a Canon, uh, a Canon body with Canon's, uh, 24 and 17 millimeter, um, tilt shift lenses are excellent tools. You shouldn't feel badly whatsoever about using those. Uh, and the great thing is these days with all these mirrorless cameras, you can adapt those lenses to, so we've used the 24 and 17 tilt shifts on Sony bodies. Um, I just got for my, uh, associate photographer, Brian, um, the Fuji GFX, uh, 100S and we can, with an adapter, we can put those lenses on there and yeah, they do cover, um, medium format, which is great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can totally do, uh, architectural work with, with those sort of cameras. No, no problem whatsoever. I, would you, I, would I you ever do it with an iPhone? Would you ever consider going in and <laughs> just to see if you could? <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've made a few cause you can make perspective corrections on the iPhone too. So I, I've, uh, in order to show a client what I had in mind with something, I'll, I'll sometimes make a few corrections and say like, here's kind of what I had in mind. Um, if that's the only tool I have, you know, not for a finished photo, but just to communicate an idea. Yeah. And that works pretty well. Um, but for me, as I said in the beginning, I started out with in this with uh, the four by five camera. So that camera, you know, all of your perspective control is done what we call in camera. Mm -hmm. And it was obviously a big sheet of film and super high quality. So when I got into digital photography, I was very interested in maintaining that kind of workflow. Uh, yeah, you could make corrections and, and post. Uh, but I wasn't super interested in that. And at the time, I mean, the, the Nikon, whatever camera was out, it was five megapixels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And I'm coming from four by five films. So I waited a little while and then phase one, the medium format people came out with, um, the P 25 and P 25 plus back, which was 22 megapixels, which is okay. It's almost four times, five times what was available in DSLR. So that was, that was a good way to go. So I got into that and then fast forward, um, to today, a little show and tell. This is um, this is the camera I use currently, which is I'll try not to drop it. Um, so this is um, the Phase One digital back, which is the IQ4 150. It's a 150 megapixel back. Yes. Yeah. I know it's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the lens, this particular lens, is a 23 millimeter on full frame medium format. So that's pretty wide. Yeah, maybe it's close to like a 17 or something in the DSLR world. But the fun thing that this camera does, this camera body, and this is made by our Swiss friends at Alpa. Um, they make these lovely bodies. Uh, so this camera, you can do in-camera perspective control because I can manipulate um, where the digital back is. So these, this is what we call lateral shift. Mm -hmm. And then again, trying not to drop it. Um, well, I got the wood handle in here. And then uh, here, I'll, that's probably easier if I show it like this. So mm -hmm. you can you can do lens rise and fall um, from here. So similar movement to a shift lens. Yeah. Um, on a on a DSLR, but yeah. this just gives you it gives you the ability to do compound movement. So I can I can shift the lens up or down, and I can shift the back left or right. And, and that's what you so were about, doing when you had your four by five camera, right? That precisely with yep. the bellows on there, you're able to change the lens plane independently of the of the uh, film plane, right? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is. And so that those are the movements that we as mm -hmm architectural photographers are used to having. So, um, I think because I started in film and with four by five, that's the way I wanted to continue to work. And this system is, I, it's certainly not overkill for what I do. It's, it's definitely an awesome tool for, for, for what I do. And I love using it, but it's not required. Uh, if you were interested in doing it, it's, um, I like it. There's just lots of reasons. I, li I like the in-camera controls. Like I said, um, I really enjoy working with, you know, great tools and, and Alpha and phase one just make, you know, amazing products and they're just, what, really, what, is that, them. what does that set me mm. back? If I want, if I want to go pick mm. one of those up from Best Buy tonight, <laughs> what, what am I paying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have, you just go to the drive-thru. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's an impulse buy at the checkout, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately the digital back itself is the most expensive chunk. Um, and that's, um, with the, with the full swap out warranty is, is like 40 or 45,000, depending on the deal you might get dollars or, or dollars. Or, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> lira. It's all Not lira. pesos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I should also point out that this particular lens has these new, um, phase one makes these new X shutters, which are super cool. So these replace the old mechanical copal shutters that we mm -hmm. used up until very recently. Um, that were, you know, have been out of production for almost 10 years, I think. 
So these are awesome. So what I'm not showing is the cable that connects these two. And mm -hmm. phase one, uh, to be fair, makes their own body called the XT camera, which is a very nice camera too. Um, and all the communication happens through the camera body and doesn't require the cable like this one mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. um, but these lenses are, are quite expensive with this shutter. This, um, this 23, I think it's like, it's like 12,000 bucks for the oh. lens. And then the bodies, you know, uh, you know, a nice handful of money. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, so just all that without the body is fifty two thousand dollars right there. To, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's like, you know, the, the lenses, I mean, these are new lenses for me, but I've used them in the past in different mounts. I got away from them for a little while and then came back to them. But I mean, I'll, these are, you know, I don't anticipate ever having to purchase other lenses because uh, yeah. these will work just fine for yeah the well, that's that's that that's future. that smart mentality of buying buying the best and then that's what you're going to yeah. use and you're not right every every couple of years a new shiny object shows up and you got to go get that you, you already nope. have it no no so exactly so you know I, we'll see what phase one comes out with next in terms of the back but this back is has amazing features yeah. and they keep adding really nice firmware updates to it so i don't anticipate uh even if they come out with something new i'm like i don't know what else would tempt me um because it, it does you know, more than I needed to right now. And it's super pleasurable to use. And the files are ridiculous, you know, so yeah. I, I can yeah. imagine. I mean, yeah. you could, you could probably see into the future with the, you know, yeah, right. Right. The, the DNA of each pixel, you can just yeah, zoom in and see, see it. A lot. Wow. Yeah. What's nice wow. just briefly about these lens. Yeah. They're crazy expensive, but, um, but the, you can shoot them wide open at F4, F5, 6, and they're sharp to the edges. And so that's, um, that's just one super nice thing about them versus when I was using the Canon lenses on the phase one, which is a whole different discussion. Um, I, I had to shoot those at like F11 all the time to get, to get them to be sharp, even close to the edges. So, um, so that's nice flexibility to be able to open up much more if I need yeah. the extra strobe power, just shorter exposure. So are you, is, is that the, like I'm showing for the folks that are listening to this. And by the way, we're showing a lot of stuff in this episode. So head over to this um, or our YouTube channel to, to watch this video. Uh, but the, these shots that I'm looking at right now, are these made mm -hmm. with that camera or, or another? Um, I, I haven't updated the website this year yet. Um, and this system, the, the back I got like in May and the lenses I got maybe toward the end of the summer. So I don't think anything on my website yet is with this system, but they're all done with the phase one camera. Okay. Um, they were done with the, the phase one IQ3 trichromatic, um, which was a hundred megapixel back. And they were shot on a different, um, Alpa body that would allow me to use the Canon lenses. So most, most of what you're showing here was shot with, um, with a phase one back, but with Canon lenses. Got it. And, um, yeah, still very good, but the, the other lenses just allow, um, allow that digital back to really shine and give it, give you the full potential of it. It's so great. Yeah. It's so great. So then, yeah, like okay, this, oh, good. No, go uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'll bring that back up. Yeah. Uh, I just, when, when you're talking about like the, the people and the planning and such, so th this particular project in, in Baltimore um, for Ballinger, we had this was it before the pandemic. Yeah. So we um, we were able to use some of the sort of ambient people walking through. And so we would set up a shot. And we hear like, oh, there's going to be a class change soon. So maybe we'll get some people in that atrium space. But like a shot like this, these are that's the architect and the the um, uh, marketing person there, um, you know, with their lab coats on. So, <laughs> so, so like a shoot like this, a little bit of a mix. So we use some of the architect staff and then we use some of the, the actual people who are in inhabit the building. So it's uh, just, just wow. a mix, but just to tie it back to the earlier conversation. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful work. Thanks. So Thanks. then, Okay, so now, mm -hmm. you know, and I know we're running out of time, so I always have a million questions to ask and I only get okay. through the first ones. Um, but, you know, looking at this work and then kind of looping back to our earlier discussion about the difference between differences between uh, real estate photography and architectural photography, it, specifically mm -hmm. with regard to pricing. So mm -hmm. what are we looking at for, uh, and I know it's across the board, you know, but on average, someone hires you to come do you know, a series of images for some high tech Silicon Valley firm or New York or New Jersey or whatever. Uh -huh. What are, what's, what's the check they're writing for that? What does that look like? Yeah, it's um, I mean, like a typical full day shoot for me is somewhere between thirty five hundred and five thousand. So that's fee, post production, assistant, you know, maybe travel, um, maybe some, you know, potentially there's some retouching in there. Mm -hmm. So I, from what I, and again, I haven't shot real estate, but from what I understand those, so we're probably in the range of, of like a factor of 10 mm -hmm, in terms mm -hmm. of what, um, but the real estate guys might be out there shooting, 
um, maybe they're shooting three properties in a day for 500 bucks each or something. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, in terms of, in terms of like one property or one project that we're probably in the range of, you know, like a, a factor of probably eight to 10 Wow. in terms wow. of scale. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's just, um, just kind of how it works. So the architectural photography is more in the realm of, you know, commercial photography and where there's, you know, it's a rights managed model where we're, we're licensing photos to, um, uh, to our clients and to other third parties who may come along a window manufacturer, furniture manufacturer. So we always, always maintain the copyright and then photos are licensed out versus, um, and again, I, I may be speaking out of turn in terms of real estate, but I understand that's more of a work for hire, um, scenario where you're just, you're hired to take the photos. Now they may, those photographers may be able to resell those photos, but I don't know, um, how often they do. So yeah. I'm happy to be corrected on that. If anybody wants to uh, leave a comment somewhere, but, yeah. um, uh, yeah, so it's just sort of a different thing. So architectural work just definitely being more in the commercial world. Um, uh, but short of the idea of advertising photography where, um, where you're pricing the photos per image, where there's sort of a license creative fee, license fee per shot. Mm -hmm. So every now and then I'll, I'll do a, a, a full on like commercial advertising shoot. And that could be 10 times what my normal architectural photography is, um, you know, in a, in a day, cause you're doing maybe 10 shots and they might be 1500 to 2000 per shot and just in fee. Um, yeah. and that's just based on the usage. Um, depends, you know, what, what the use is. So, and I'm not and saying that's all that negotiated, to, that's negotiated ahead of yeah. time, right? The usage and all sure. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to brag about those kind of things, but just sort of say, I always like to say like that money's out there. Um, people are paying that kind of money for advertising photography for sure. That's um, right. Cause that's, that's what, so my, uh, just quickly, my, my usage for the architectural clients always falls short of advertising, um, in terms of like paid space. Cause most architects aren't taking out space. Mm -hmm. in a magazine um, mm -hmm. that the public sees versus maybe a, a, a paint company or a high-end furniture company or something is taking out ads in, in either trade magazines or, or other sort of shelter magazines. And they, they understand that those, those kind of photos require those kinds of fees and you might be working with an ad agency and all that. So it's a whole different scale. Um, and that's, that's important distinction to understand. And that's something I teach in my workshops too, just how to understand all that stuff. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk about those workshops a little bit before we close. You know, when sure. when I when I look at when I look at the work, I'm I'm also thinking, you know, in the end, it's photography, right? So, in in this kind of work, I'm wondering what the flow is from from client to delivery, right? Taking mm -hmm. the photography piece out of it, like who's the client? Like, is is it the architect calling you up and saying, "Hey, Jeff, we need we need X, Y, and Z, blah blah." When are you available? Then you go shoot it. What happens after that? Like, and is that how they contact you? What's, what's that flow and how do you deliver the images at the end of that? Uh, sure, that's a very good question too. Yeah, so there are, um, fortunate to have a lot of sort of repeat clients. So a lot of the clients are sort of familiar with it. They'll just send me an email and say, we have this project or two that we'd like to get on your schedule. And then I'll talk about, you know, give them some date options. Then we'll talk about scouting. Is that necessary or not? Uh, if it's out of town, it might be harder to do that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll schedule the shoot. So once the shoot's done, then uh, I will, depending on who was actually on the shoot and depending on if there's some choices to be made in terms of the people that we have in the shots, like uh, do we do we like them over here? Do we like them over there? I may start the, the post-production process by just showing the clients what I call prelims, which are going to be the straight out of the camera shots that may still have light stands in them or, um, you know, depending on the client's experience level with how I work. I may do more or less work to those shots um, in, in the prelim stage. So if I, if I know the client understands that I don't have to tell them that that light stand's not gonna be there in the final shot, but they just wanna look at the people options, then they understand that. Some clients may not get it. They may be, well, why is that light stand still there? Mm -hmm. um, not understanding that we're gonna take it out later. So, so yeah, so we'll do like a, a prelim phase. I'll send a PDF either over Dropbox or directly, uh, just email it to them and then I'll get feedback They'll circle up the people. We want this person from this shot and this person from that shot. And then we'll do all that merging together in post. And then they may start looking because, um, you know, architects are really looking with a fine tooth comb through the images. And they're like, can you correct this little thing? The contractor didn't paint this thing the right color. Can we change that? Uh, often we're retouching out uh, exit signs and things like that. So and that gets to be a little bit of a not a difficult area, but I have to draw a line between how much are we going to do as part of the post-production and how much is going to be extra that we're going to call digital retouching. 
Yeah. Uh, so we're taking care of everything related to the photography, right? So bringing in the windows, making sure the colors balance between all the shots, the carpet. If it's the same carpet in ten shots, it's got to look like the same carpet. Yeah. Uh, and then, then there's yeah you know, the, the the retouching, and so I may get in a conversation with the clients, like. Yeah, we'll go through and take out sort of all this easy stuff that you requested, the things that are only a couple clicks or don't take very long. But if you want me to change the color of that wall, it's going to take it's going to take a while to select that wall just the way we want it. And so that might be extra, for instance. So and, and most clients are totally understand that. Mm-hmm. Who's who's doing your retouching? Is it you? Are you sitting doing sitting you know making sure every image is perfect, or do you just offload mm-hmm. that to a third party firm? I do. Um, I do the bulk of it. Um, and then Brian, my, um, associate photographer and studio manager, he, he does some of my post-production, mm-hmm. um, but he's doing shoots on his own too, you know, through my office, but then, so he's often busy with posts on his shots. And then I work with another guy, Chris, um, in Austin, Texas, who, um, who does, um, who does some post-production. He's doing some right now on a shoot, uh, that Brian just did in LA last night. So, um, so we, um. So I do most of it. I, I definitely like to keep my hand in it in the sense that I, I want to be sharp with my skills in Capture One and Photoshop. Um, and and I also obviously just like having control over how the, the images look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so Brian, um, Brian's uh, post-production work is, is, is very good and, and our final results look very similar, which is important. Definitely. And Chris does post-production only for architectural photographers. So he's uh, he's definitely tuned into that. Yeah, so yeah. A, I was going to yeah. ask you about that the post production software mm-hmm. that you're using, and you mentioned mm-hmm. Capture One. Is that yeah. is that your go to, and why Capture One versus Lightroom? Sure. Um, well, looking back, Capture One. So again, I started in digital with the Phase One camera. Yep. Back in like 2004, so mm-hmm. I think Capture One might have been like version three um, back then. So uh, at that time, and still today, you pretty much need Capture One in order to do you may be able to process the files in other output but there's a, a process called the lens cast calibration which is this tedious thing i won't bother to explain uh, but it's a technical camera thing you have to do and you can only do that through capture one at least as far as mm. i understand mm-hmm. um so I, I sort of grew up in capture one in terms of digital post-production and uh, capture one they just they just keep making that software better and better and better every time mm-hmm. and it's uh, super powerful there's so much you can do in it uh, I never really use Lightroom. The only time I dip into Lightroom is if I want to do a time lapse, and I'll use that um, uh, LR time lapse plugin, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. But that runs on top of Lightroom, so I have to use it then. So um, not to disparage uh, Lightroom whatsoever, but um, I just find Capture One just that does everything. The, the, the layering that you can do in there now is really good. They just added a couple new tools, which I haven't actually upgraded to just yet. Um, I always wait a little bit, but, um, yeah, they just added a new, yeah, they just added a new, uh, HDR tool, which is cool because in capture one, you can, you can do all these adjustments to a single raw file, um, with, a with layers, uh, and masking that you can, that you can, it's pretty powerful, but now you can take, you know, five bracketed exposures, merge them into one HDR DNG file. So it's still a raw file. And then you can go to work with your layer process and masking. So you can dip even further into the highlights or the shadows from that one HDR DNG to throw all the acronyms out at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so well, that's, I mean, that's and, pretty And powerful. we as photographers totally, it doesn't yeah. even sound like acronyms to us. We're like, oh, we know exactly right. what he's saying. <laughs> uh, you're speaking our language. Uh, right. But But do you, so are you, what percentage of your time are you spending in Capture One on a on a given image? I know again it, it mm-hmm. varies, right? But yeah. are you doing the bulk of the work in Capture One, and then you jump over to Photoshop for surgery? Like, okay, I got to remove a light stand or that kind of thing, or is it fifty fifty? How does that work? Um, that's a great question. So mostly, I, I do take advantage of the, the the layering capabilities in Capture One, but not, I, I don't exploit that to its fullest, uh, and not because it can't do it, but because. I bracket everything. So I'm always shooting everything bracketed, you know, probably just one stop apart, but mm-hmm. it's rare that I need to dip into one raw file and really work it to death. Um, you know, sometimes we do if we're shooting something that's super live situation where that's what we have to do. But so in and other words, your bracket, I, Jeff, before you move, I'm curious mm-hmm. about what your bracket is. Is it, is it one on exposure and one, one stop over and one, one stop under, or do you go wider than that? Uh, usually one, usually no more than one over unless something's really strange. And then the, the shorter side we go, you know, probably three, four, five, six stops, uh, depending on if there's some super bright light source 
that -hmm. we're going to need to control, uh, like a giant cove light in the ceiling or some other really bright thing. So it's often maybe one stop brighter just to make sure there's enough detail in the shadows and then a lot of times shorter. So, and you had on a couple of weeks ago, Greg Benz, who I'm, I'm a huge fan of. So, um, if you're tuning in, Greg, um, thank you for what you do. So Greg makes this great plugin called Lumenzia that plugs into uh, uh, Photoshop. And so, like I said, so I do a lot of bracketing. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll fine tune color and exposure uh, as best I can in Capture One. And then I'll output, you know, three or five bracketed exposures into Photoshop and then using Lumenzia, um, which is just a great um, a selection tool for making selections based on color or luminosity or um, any variety of things. So then I'll use that. So it's mostly the power of Lumenzi that, that once keeps me going back into Photoshop. <laughs> so they, yeah. he's done such a great job, great job with that, that it's, um, it's hard not to, to use that. So, but capture one's definitely great for fine tuning the color. Um, they have so many good tools like the normalized tool. If anybody wants to watch one of my, other videos I've done on Capture One, it's like that's an amazing tool to help you match color between two different shots. That's a perfect segue. Um, that's a perfect segue into yeah. your, the, the resources that you have available that you've made available to people that are interested in this genre, but then also mm-hmm. the uh, workshops that you're doing. Can you talk sure. about all that a yeah. little bit? Sure. Yeah. I've done, um, th- there's a handful of things online, like uh, during the what, 2020, I guess, uh, I did. A capture one like an hour long thing with digital transitions from New York. They're the phase one dealer I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Lance Shad, who's a, a, a friend and my, my salesperson over there, he um, invited me to do a capture one, or capture one for architectural photography. Um, so I, I just went through. So that's on YouTube under their project Lemonade. You can probably find that uh, pretty easily. So I just go into some of the different tools and how I set up capture one for architectural photography and shooting on location and how the computer set up for that versus being in the comfort of the uh, office with two two large displays. Uh, and then I do teach, I've been teaching since 2008, uh, a uh, architectural photography workshop, which is down in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, it's normally in person. And so last year we ran it uh, online, which was the first time I did a full workshop online. And so the in-person workshop is five days. And it's, it's a full five days. So we do, we'll be, spend about half a day out shooting somewhere. We have a wonderful woman who works with the workshop who can find us these great locations to go to. Thank you, Leslie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so in the in-person one, we'll shoot in half the day and then we'll spend the other half a day in the classroom doing, doing either post-production or doing, uh, just talking about the business. I, it's, it's like a full, full on, this will be your life as an architectural photographer workshop. It's not just it's it's about the art and the craft and the business so it's about okay. everything you would you would want to know if you want to do this as a full-time gig um and then so the online one which we we just this week decided um to switch it back to online for this year which uh, it comes up at the end of february i think it's the 22nd through the 25th i think i sent you a link to it yeah um so it's going to be online again this year and it was fun last year we had people from all over the world which is great so we had about i think 12 or 15 people and so it was, it was a lot of fun to do, um, a lot of preparation to, to get it ready to do the whole thing online. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that. It's a little bit shorter in the online version. It's four days instead of five. And then we do two, two hour sessions a day. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it's fun. It's, it's great to meet people from all over. Yeah, that's really cool. So it's fun it is, to do. Yeah. That's really cool. Any, so the, the, the pandemic and all that obviously mm-hmm. is slowing things down. How does that impact the, the workshop series and all that? Yeah, like I said, we were we really hoping to do it in person, and the Omicron showed up, and because um, yeah, I was willing so. to do it, yeah, I was willing to do it in person, but yeah, with masks and a smaller group. Yeah, um, yeah. And but the online normally, version is the next best thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the online. I was I was emailing a, a woman yesterday who was asking because she had signed up for the in person, mm-hmm. and she's a little disappointed that we're going to do online. And I said, I said, you know what? I said the the amount of information per minute <laughs> in the online is much higher than the in person because the, the in person is fun and you you meet people and you travel around together and you shoot together and you all work together and that's a great experience too. But in terms of just like the amount of information that's delivered, um, the online one is sort of more efficient in that way because you're you're just there focused on on certain lessons and certain certain aspects that we're talking about. So they each have their advantages, um, but the uh, the in person one is definitely fun. And yeah, going down to 
Florida yeah, in February is always a benefit. <laughs> it seems like, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. It seems like the 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 online version would be kind of like your 101, 201 version. And then the in-person is the 401, you know, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Know, yeah. Take it to the next yeah, yeah. level and, okay, right. like fine-tune your craft and really get into it. That, that, yeah. I like that flow. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot to be gained, I think, from either one. So I think they're they're both uh, they're both fun to do. And I think, I, I hope the students get a, get a lot out of it. Well, Jeff, thank yeah. you for coming on. It's mm -hmm. always a, it's always a pleasure. You know, I always leave these conversations wanting to be an architectural photographer. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm like, I want to do this. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, right. But you know, for for folks that want to reach out to you and you know maybe take your workshop, I'll have the links to mm -hmm. to to all this stuff in the blog post and in the description sure. on the YouTube video. But let us know where where do you want people to go to connect yeah. with you and reach out. Sure. Yeah, my website's uh, just uh, jeffreytotaro.com. And um, you can find me on Instagram at also at jeffreytotaro. And the uh, the workshop is run out of the Palm Beach Photographic Center. And they have a, a simple URL, which is just workshop.org. I don't know how they managed wow. to get that one, but they sure did. How did they get that? Yeah. yeah. So if you just uh, Google workshop.org and then Totaro, uh, my class will pop up there. Okay. Uh, so uh, if anybody has any questions about that, be happy to, to answer those. Um, but I always appreciate the opportunity to come on, Frederick. It's always always fun to chat with you and um, and uh, and see what you've been up to as well. So thanks Absolutely. for the opportunity. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. It is an honor having you on and chatting with you. I like you know I really love talking and diving into different genres of photography because it's interesting mm -hmm. from the the standpoint of we're all working with light and all the tools are are very similar and the same, but the numbers and the effort and the, you know, all kinds of other th variables very <laughs> widely, you know, through, but right. there's all these commonalities, right? The camera, the lights and the uh, exposure and bracketing and capture one and all this stuff. It's all, they're same, but different. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Right. It's yeah, really yeah, that's cool. great. I love watching your show too. I'm always tuning in to see, uh, to see the other guests that you have on. So it's always, always fun. Excellent. Thank you. Well, yeah. we'll let you get on with your day. Thank you for coming on. And sure thing. Uh, let's not make it another two years before we talk. I know. <laughs> I mean, we... <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. Uh, all right, right Jeff. You have all a right. good rest of your day. Thanks all for coming right. on. Thanks a lot, Frederick. This is Twitter. This episode was sponsored by MPB, the world's largest online platform for used photo and video kit. Visit mpb.com.